everyone, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being for busy working moms and women in business and beyond who are seeking to unplug from their worries and overwhelm to light up with insight and joy. I, your host, mom, and effortless lifestyle coach, Marina Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners, and creatives about what it really takes to have a business and life you can truly enjoy. If you enjoyed the show or had any questions, why not connect with me on Instagram at Marina Pearson? Look out for the show's meme and make a comment there, or just click on my story and ask me a question. Alternatively, you can find me on the Joy of Being Facebook group. And if you would like a more personalized touch to live a stress-free life, then why not find out more about the Joy of Being Retreat, an intimate four-day profound experience at a luxury venue in Javier, Spain, where you get to experience your inner calm and peace of mind by slowing down and making space. To find out more, email me at marina marinapearson.com with Joy of Being Retreat in the title. So welcome to another great episode of The Joy of Being. And today I'm super honored to have Karen Guggenheim. She's a social entrepreneur who created Wahasu as a commitment towards making a happier world through investing in and producing initiatives like the World Happiness Summit, a multidimensional global gathering of leading experts in the disciplines that compose the science of happiness and well-being and the H20 government meeting. And what I loved about our conversation today was her realness. You know, she said her story about her husband who died and how that was the catalyst towards her creating what she's created today. We also explored this idea that it's possible to choose joy over sadness and how she made a commitment to not sit in her victimhood and move forward. So if you're curious about her story, if you're curious about how it's possible to move forward after such a tragic happening, then I invite you to listen in. So I'm super excited, like I always am, to have my podcast guest. And today I have Karen Guggenheim. Welcome, Karen. I'm super excited to have you on here today because I know that you have this big, big mission and have... An incredible story to share around how you found the joy of being. So I'm curious, where did you wish to spread happiness and, you know, create this big summit that you do every year? Where did that come from? What happened? First of all, thank you so much for having me and for allowing me to share not only my story, but something that I'm especially passionate about and the work behind the World Happiness Summit. I came to happiness actually from extreme personal unhappiness and tragedy. Five years ago, I lost my husband of 21 years and he passed away rather quickly from the flu. And so in 10 days, he he was gone. And from that experience, I was married to him half my life. He was my best friend, the father of my children. So we were connected on so many different levels and not only what was going on in our present, but also the future that you kind of plan and you have in, in your mind, right? And so first I struggled with, with wanting to go on and wanting to continue. And then I remembered that I had children and I hold motherhood in very high esteem. And for me, being a mother is the number one priority in my life. And so I realized that I had to live because I have my two children. And so I, I remember making a very conscious choice around that and be very analytical and making the choice to live. And after that, I thought, 
if I'm going to live and I've decided to live, I have to live happy. And I don't know what that looks like, but I know that I can't live otherwise, you know, living, staying in the pain and staying and becoming kind of this word. The widow is such a kind of harsh, harsh word. It's a really wording. nasty word, isn't it, right? It's really a nasty word. Thought of it. I, I, like, I find it really interesting when you fill anything out, it says single, <laughs> married, separated, or widow. And it's like, well, I'm single, but also a widow. So why does it pertain, you know, whether, what does widow have to do with the whole thing? And, and then the word carries so many painful and just really negative right? There's like nothing positive around the word. And so I wanted to make sure that I didn't want others to identify me with that word, but I didn't want to identify myself with that word. I didn't want that to be my story. Okay. That's, you know, part of something that happened to me in a significant part of my life, but I didn't want that to be embedded into the tapestry and essence of who I am. And so I made a conscious choice that I was going to live happy. And I didn't know what that was going to look like the pain was like that elephant, you know, how do you get around that elephant? And so I began one piece at a time, you know, I encountered happiness through meaning and purpose. And so when I started to make decisions, I was kind of, what would a happy person do? Would a happy person take a shower and get dressed and join the rest of the world? And would a happy person say yes to this? And would I, so I began, it was like fake it till you make it. And so the very first thing I did was that I applied for an MBA at Georgetown University. I had wanted to attend Georgetown right out of a high school, but I married very young and I thought, you know, now I am going to go to Georgetown in homage to my husband and I'm going to do this. And three months after his passing, I, was, I started the program. And I was traveling back and forth from Miami to Washington. I had one son in Miami and then another one in Washington at university so I could keep track of both boys. And so I really began to do things that brought me out of my comfort zone, that dared me to be courageous, that started creating new neuropathways in my brain. Of course, I didn't know this at the time, right? So my happiness practice at the time was I had been doing yoga for many years, about 15 years. I had a strong spiritual life. And I had close connections with friends and family. And I must have some innate resiliency factors that, that helped me out as well. But I didn't know about the science of happiness. When I went to college and I graduated and majored in psychology, Martin Seligman hadn't uh, yet invented positive psychology. So it was all about pathology. And upon graduation, I got a really good job. And on paper, everything was great and so forth. But I didn't feel fulfillment. I didn't feel connected. I was not feeling happy. And I met a group of people, of volunteers, who were toying around with the idea of creating an event, a summit around happiness and then and around the choice of happiness. And so when I learned about that, I quit my job six weeks later and I put my time, my talent and my treasure into founding Wahasu, which puts on the World Happiness Summit and also the H20 government meeting around increasing civic happiness. And that's where I really felt a connection because I had made that choice. I made that choice while being terribly unhappy that there are learnable and practices that are science-based that people can make small actions that have significant outcomes. And it's all about habit forming and it's about rituals and it's about rewiring your brain. 
but there's science back on how they increase our happiness and our well-being and help us succeed at work, succeed at parenting relationship. So the outcomes and products of investing in personal happiness are huge. And went about working really, really hard to be able to create this company and this event along with my partner to be able to provide a forum and a platform for the practices around increasing happiness and well-being. And so while we're not a scientific forum, we're science-based. And our premise is that we want this information to be practical and for the masses to reach it, to understand what we mean by happiness. It is not a momentary time of joy or a euphoria, which are great feelings, right? But this is about sustainability, about how do you deal with life and life challenges? How do you deal when you have a bad day and you feel really down, right? It's not the absence of unhappiness. It's how do you deal with it in a way that you can thrive? But Talvin Sahar talks about the permission to be human. And I just really love that quote because, you know, we have to welcome the entire an experience. Nobody gets a pass. No. Whether it's a little thing or a big thing that happens to us, nobody gets a pass. And so there are ways to be able to uh, experience post-traumatic growth instead of post-traumatic stress disorder. So how do you grow through trauma? And I, I experienced it myself, so I know it's possible. You know, I know that I grew from this trauma. I know that I have had a bigger capacity to love and to share and to be happy. Happiness that I never knew was possible after the most horrible and unfair thing happened to the most brilliant person I've ever met. You know, to the kindest individual, to the most generous person and seeing the pain in my children, which is the hardest thing possible because as a mother, you know, you want to be able to fix it and you can't, you can't fix this pain. You can only comfort and model the behavior. And so I think that my children, thank God, are, are, are so well because they've seen what resiliency looks like. How do you go on when something like this happens? And then I have a very simple saying, and it's silly, but it's better to be happy than to be sad. You know, I, I, I cannot change what happened. No, nothing that I do will ever, ever, ever make my husband alive, right? And it will never, ever, ever make it unpainful. So given that situation that I have absolutely no control, what can I control? Well, I can control what happens from now on. I can control this day to the best of my ability, right? Richard Lyard, brilliant, brilliant economist at a London School of Economics and a person that I hold in very high esteem, he says that regardless of your life circumstance, you can control the way that you think about it. You can control your mind. You can control the way you react to it. And I'm sure we've all had experiences where we know people who have everything going for them and they're absolutely miserable. They're beautiful. They're fit. They have good relationships or they, you know, they have perfectly fine children or spouses or in money, et cetera, and they're completely unfulfilled. So you don't have to be destitute to be unhappy. It runs the entire gamut. At the same time, you know, happiness is the same way. So you don't have to wait until everything is going perfect in your life to then decide to be happy. One of the conversations that I have frequently is people ask me about the World Happiness Summit. 
what about people that are unhappy? Should they come or they're depressed? Of course, it's medicine. You know, it's medicine to people that are suffering. So you come to the summit to experience greater happiness or a little bit of happiness or which they can add to your happiness level that you're in in that particular moment. But I love happiness as preventive medicine. I think it's fantastic. I think investing in it, investing time, research, creating habits that have a positive outcome are worthwhile. And so that's why we do the summit. And I particularly am involved in it because I know it works. I did it myself. So I know that it works. And when I found out that there was a whole science around it and research and all this, I wanted everyone in the world to know that it was attainable, it's learnable, and there's so many tools. And then you pick the one that fits for you. It's like a buffet. Use the ones that work for you and customize it to yourself. Yeah, wow. There's so much in what you've just said. There were a couple of things that really struck me. The first was embracing our humanness and all that that comes with, because it seems to me that if we don't shy away from us being human, which is basically, you know, the ego, whatever you want to call it, the bit that struggles, the down days, because we all have them. Mm -hmm. It just allows us to kind of go, okay, I'm just having a down day. It's fine. This is just part of the course tomorrow, or maybe in a couple of hours time, it will feel better. Um, exactly. It's part of being human. And I think that's a really, really important point because often we can get so caught up in, oh my God, I don't know what's wrong with me. I feel down. I shouldn't be feeling down. And there's all of exactly. this thinking that goes on. I was happy yesterday and today I'm not as happy. The research shows that being obsessed with your happiness level actually makes you unhappy. Yeah, well, that again. <laughs> so what I'm learning, I'm actually taking a course, the first ever certificate on happiness that Taliban Sahar is leading. And it struck me that in order to pursue happiness, you have to pursue it indirectly. So you can't be like, okay, I want to be happy. I want to be happy. I want to be happy. You have to pursue it through taking care of your physical body, of your emotional state, of your relationships, or your spiritual life, right? Your intellectual curiosity. So these are the ways by taking care of those facets of your life, then it increases your happiness. There's no quick way to attain sustainable happiness. It's habit forming. It's small changes. And it's creating a routine like everything else. So another thing that totally blows my mind is that we perfectly understand and nobody has to explain to you that your physical body will look one way or the other by what you put in your mouth and how much exercise you do. We understand that. But we need so much coaxing into explaining that the way that you're thinking and reacting emotionally will have a reaction into how you feel. People need so much teaching around what you're thinking, what's going on in your mind and in your brain, what you're reading, what you're consuming is going to have a consequence. It's going to have an emotional, psychological consequence on you. We struggle with that because we can't see it. You know, we can't directly see it. The body we can see. So we know oh, I'm out of shape oh, or we can quantify it. I gain weight or I lost weight. Da, da, da. Or I look haggard or I look beautiful, etc. But when it is in the brain, we can't directly see it. So we don't think it's happening. But the truth of the matter is that, you know, being altruistic, being generous, being kind, 
does increase your well-being and your happiness. And vice versa. Being nasty and horrible makes you miserable, right? It's very matter of fact, but people have a really hard time embracing it. And I was one of them. So before this experience happened to me, I thought happiness was outside of myself. So, you know, if I found a parking spot near where I was going to be going, then I'm happy because I found the parking spot. If not, then I'm not happy. That kind of, or if somebody was nice to me or somebody told me a kindness, then I'm happy. If I didn't get it, then I was unhappy. So it's completely outside of me. But when I realize that you are in control of your happiness, regardless of what happens, and having said that, there's a caveat. So there's people living in war and famine, right? And so there are important conditions to create an environment where you can choose happiness, right? And so you peace in absence of war and having enough to eat. And so I don't want to minimize that these things and these hardships are not going on around the world. But how do we make this into a global movement so that we can choose forgiveness, so that we can choose peace? Peace is an incredible part of precondition to happiness. So we have to create environments, right? Again, these things are so common sense, yet we don't get it. I mean, if we're fighting each other and we're using political arguments and we're not listening to each other, et cetera, we're not going to advance an agenda that's going to benefit society, right? So then we have to create a language and an atmosphere where we can sit at the table and invite differing point of views and come out with resolutions. So if you look at the case for Nelson Mandela in his presidency, he kept people from the previous administration because he realized that forgiveness was going to be a very important part of moving forward and to listen to all sides was also going to be critical. And so then he went about creating a government that had that feature in it, pretty successful doing what he did. Not perfect as everything else, but forgiveness is incredibly important condition to happiness. So for example, I had to forgive the doctors that made mistakes that led to my husband's death. Very hard, but not to do it. It's just making insult to the injury. Yeah. I mean, going back to what you said about it being inside of us, Now, I used to suffer a lot of depression and suicidal, had quite a few suicidal tendencies. And over time, as you and as most, a lot of people living in a misunderstanding that we think that our feelings have got something to do with our circumstances. So if I get that job, then I'll be happy. If I'm in a relationship, then I'll be happy. I can only be happy when. We don't Mm -hmm. realize, as you beautifully put, is that we can be happy now, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of what's going on in our life. And yes, caveat, war. Yeah, absolutely. Abuse, famine. Sure. But who we really are is that love, you know, and is that love and understanding. I don't know about you, but the more I've got quiet inside, I've realized and insightfully seen where true happiness comes from and and that actually it's created a lot more space inside of me to be able to actually think more clearly and Mm -hmm. be in that place of love and care because I'm not so self-concerned. I think self-concern can be a real barrier. I agree with you a hundred percent. It can be such a barrier to like... I mean, to be so self-obsessed. It's (laughs) funny. I've had moments that I just tell myself, hey, you're just not that important. And he's like, (laughs) stop. 
<laughs> and you're just not that important. You know, do something else, focus on something else because you can drive yourself crazy. And we get microanalyze ourselves and we get stuck in that. And it, that just exhausting. I experienced that while putting on this conference is so demanding, but that I had energy, physical and psychological energy that I didn't know was within me because I was so invigorated by doing something that actually made people happy. I mean, people that come to the summit are actually really, really happy. I mean, it's like a bubble. It's such a beautiful experience. It's amazing. It's the most amazing thing that I have ever seen. And it's because it works. The people that are there are the world's leading experts and researchers, and they're just really nice people. It takes me a long time to curate the agenda. We're very fortunate that there's a lot of interest in people who want to participate. And as an organizer, it's very hard to say no, but there's only so many hours in a conference. And then people also don't want to be, you know, they love the content, but you have to make sure that it's not too much and it's not too little and people can have time to reflect because you're getting a lot to digest. It's really a transformative experience. That's one of the things that we heard the most out of people that go there. It's, it's transformational. People go there and they're just different when they leave. Yeah. We're really working on creating opportunities for engagement to make sure that the change is sustainable and the transformation is sustainable because obviously that's very important. So we're working on, we're starting uh, community circles around the world. People can, you know, we're going to create a guideline and so forth. And then people can meet up and talk about how to increase happiness and what are the happiness habits. And then how do you deal with that? And also to use the time for live in-person connection so that we can work on relationship, which helps us to build community and also to provide change. Change happens best in groups. I think what we can hear from other people and the insights that other people can give us and share and that connection can actually allow us to hear or see something new for ourselves. Something that kind of really struck me too when you were talking was the sense that it must be amazing. I mean, I know for me it was to just catch a glimpse, just one glimpse of what a new reality would look like to experience mm -hmm. that one thing. Yes. Like even if it's just a glimpse of it, it's like a yeah. moment. Yeah. I didn't realize that yeah. this even existed. Like yeah. is yeah. this even yeah. possible? Yeah, I'm so excited you said that because when people ask me, what's your hope for people that come to the summit? What will they experience? I said, one aha moment. It's like the tiniest connection that you have that feeling. Because when you have that feeling, you want more. It's just like really the pursuit of that feeling. And what can you do to be able to have more of those? You're not going to have them all the time. Nobody does, right? But it is how do you trend towards having more of those moments more times in your life. That's all. Well, at least the spiritual factors that I've seen is that we have the capacity for insight. So a natural innate capacity for it. The fact mm -hmm. that you had that aha moment about happiness, the fact that I'm sitting here with you today in the state that I am more of the time compared to how I used to be. When I see that with my clients, it's all because they've had aha moments. And those aha mm -hmm. moments are actually innate. We have this capacity to have insights, which I think is amazing. Who built that, you know? 
Yeah. Well, it's a great reservoir to tap into. I mean, I hope that you'll join us at one of the summit events in the future. We would lovely to have you and to have your clients or your friends and to help us, you know, build this beautiful tapestry of happiness and this uh, global happiness movement that is really taking off around the world. Thank you so much, Karen. Now, if somebody who's interested in listening to this and wants to get more information, where can they do that? They can go to our website, worldhappiness.com. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Karen. I know this was a short and brief episode, but as you said, your duties as a mother are so important to you. You've got to go off yes. and uh, do yes. that right now. So thank you so much for being here. For thank you else. so much, Marina. Thank, thank you. you for having me and, yeah. and thank you for everyone for listening. Yeah. And for everybody that else is listening until the next time. Bye for now. And there you have it. Another wonderful episode of The Joy of Being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com slash scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. And remember, you can find me on Instagram at Marina Pearson or my Facebook group, The Joy of Being. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek. <laughs>